Welcome to this latest edition of Real Deal Podcast on this 20th of October 2020. I'm your host, Surreal Joe Quinn, here on a Tuesday evening discussing the world of sports. Hope everybody out there is doing well, uh, enjoying some of this beautiful weather, depending on where you're at, of course. But where I'm at, the weather has been great. A few things to discuss. over here on this Tuesday, of course, the NFL re- the NFL uh, NFL week wrapped up yesterday. You had two games on a Monday night uh, with um, the Cowboys actually getting just embarrassed uh, by the Arizona Cardinals, and and of course, you the Kansas City Chiefs rebounding from a loss last week to the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, very. Very good win for uh, Kansas City, 26-17 over the Buffalo Bills, who have now all of a sudden lost three straight games. Um, You know, you look at the NFL right now, uh, you know, there's really not a dominant team right now. And you got to be careful of how you gauge where the season is at. Like, no training camp. Um, what's going on, of course, with COVID. Uh, some of these teams are just not, uh, you know, you got some of these teams with, with gaudy rec- with these gaudy records who, frankly, just are not that good. Like, I like I, I don't think Cleveland starting to switch, starting to show some warts. They were embarrassed by Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh right now, you can arguably say, along with Tennessee, I, I still think Kansas City, pound for pound, is the best team in the AFC, in the AFC, and probably the best team in the NFL, pound for pound. Uh, but Pittsburgh certainly is right there. Tennessee just, you know, keeps, you know, just can't, just keeps winning. Um, and keep in mind that they were in the championship game yesterday, yesterday, uh, last, uh, you know, this past season, last season. But uh, a lot of these teams, you know, it's going to take a while for the NFL season to kind of to get a real feel of this season because I think you're not going to really see how good a lot of these teams are until, say, week seven, eight, you know, November, mid-November. I, I, I would venture to say even go you even to go uh, going into uh, Thanksgiving, to be honest with you. Now, of course – NFL teams don't have that long, don't have, you know, if you're a team, <laughs> you got to uh, put pedals to the metal now. You know, the NFL is only 16 games in, in the regular season. But uh, I don't get a sense that you're going to really, really feel like, really feel like who, you're going to find out who's who outside of reputation. Like, you know Ken, what Kansas City is going to be. They're going to be right there at the end. This is a good Pittsburgh team. You know, a good Pittsburgh team always is dangerous. Uh, bet they got the best defense in the best defense in the league, or one of the best defenses in the league. Um, and Ben Roethlisberger is back, so you, you know what they're all about. Uh, NFC is a little bit more cloudy. Than the NFC. Um, we saw this. We saw uh, this past Sunday. You know, I thought Green Bay was very good coming in coming into this weekend. Uh, coming into Sunday's game, I thought Green Bay. If you had a power rankings with you, I don't really get into. I don't get into that too much because of how long the NFL season is. And this is, as we all know, it's not. This is not college football. 
But if you had Green Bay number one and number two in your power rankings, okay. But they got embarrassed on Sunday. And, you know, it's not just one thing to lose. I mean, you can lose a role game to Tampa. Tampa's a, pretty, a very good team. It was physically, you know, Green Bay just got, they got punked. And we saw them get punked last year twice by San Francisco. Uh, in the, once in the regular season, of course, once in, in, of course, in that, in that championship game. And it, this was very much similar to what happened uh, in that San Francisco game. Maybe not with the maybe not Tampa Bay running all over them, even though uh, the running back had over 100 yards. But just the physicality that Tampa imposed on Green Bay, it showed. It really, I, I did not like what I saw out of Green Bay, and just and just not so much getting not so much losing the game, but just getting physically pushed around. I mean, they got whipped at the line of scrimmage and I, and on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Now. If you're somebody who moves to Green Bay, you can say, hold on. They were up 10-0. They were up 10-0. Aaron Rodgers throws the pick six. The game completely changed. No problem with that. You're absolutely right. That one play changed the whole complexity of that game without question. And it just and, and by the way, Rodgers, that, you know, that was one of the Rodgers. That, that was the worst game I've ever seen Aaron Rodgers play by far. I've never seen Rodgers play that bad. Um, not completing 50% of his passes throwing no touchdowns and two picks and one for a pick six. I've never seen him play worse. He was missing receivers. He missed Mercedes Lewis within what should have been, what would have been a touchdown probably, wide open by at least Mercedes Lewis was a good five to ten yards past uh, the safety or corner or past the safety, wide open. And Rodgers this year in 2020 has not missed passes like that. Now, again, I we gauge Green Bay at a different level. The Green Bay will be in the playoffs. We know they're a playoff team. But this is, you know, you had your late in Rodgers' career. Um, and we thought for throughout the first four games that Green Bay possibly was a Super Bowl contender. I'm not saying that they're not a Super Bowl contender, but they took a step back, a major step back to me uh, in that game. They, that, that game, that performance was not, did not, you know, that performance was one that you will kind of tuck away and remember uh, in the postseason, if those two teams meet again, or if Green Bay runs into another physical team that can push them around at the line of scrimmage, uh, the flip side, of course, is Tampa Bay. If Tampa Bay's defense continues to play at the level that it played that they played at during that game and throughout the course of the season, they are the number one. They are number one in terms of yards allowed. They're number one defense in the league, and they've played literally. They played like a top three defense in the league this year. They will be right there. Brady does. Brady does not have to be. Does not have to set the world on fire. And he's played well for the most part. Outside of, outside of the New Orleans game, Brady's played pretty. You know, Brady's played. You know, he's, he's been well. He's played well. He's playing great for a forty-three year old. I mean, the guy that met the, the the idea that this man's forty-three years old playing starting at the quarterback position is just is remarkable to say the least. But he's played relatively well. Um, and really, Tampa Bay doesn't have any bad losses. I mean, Tampa Bay loses to Chicago. That Chicago at Chicago, a game that they, they without question, should have won. They played a sloppy football game with the penalties. Uh, Brady had a, a couple picks in that game. Brady didn't particularly play great in that game. And Chicago has a very good defense. And New Orleans on the road, first game of the season. First game of the season, I 
toss them out always in the NFL. First game of the season is to me being next to nothing as far as knowing who's going to be good and who's not. So give Tampa Bay a lot of credit. Uh, that was the statement game of the week without question. Everybody hyped this game up to be, you know, battle of uh, two immortal quarterbacks, uh, two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, two all-time greats, which they are. I don't know if he, I mean, you can't, I don't know if Aaron Rodgers is immortal, iconic quarterback. Listen, he's all-time great. Brady, we know. A lot of people think he's the GOAT. He's not my GOAT, but, you know, he's at worst the second greatest quarterback of all time behind Joe Montana and many people would put Brady as the, as the greatest quarterback of all time. Whatever. He's a top, he's one of the top, he's one of the best ever. But that game was not about Tom Brady, that game, or Rob Gronkowski, for that matter. That game was about the Tampa Bay defense. And that game was about the physicality that that team plays with that should, you know, should travel uh, in the playoffs in cold weather cities if they, you know, if they don't get a home field advantage. So that defense, that physical, uh, you know, physical, physical style of play, the running game, should, and we know Tom Brady can play in it, can play in cold weather. So regardless of, you know, if they get home court, home field or not, home field or not. So that was a big time win for them um, over the uh, Green Bay Packers. We talked about Kansas City, uh, Pittsburgh, again, Pittsburgh. For, now, I, I was surprised to find out that Pittsburgh, this is the first time that Pittsburgh has been 5-0 since 1978 for a franchise that was, that has the most Super Bowls, well, tied with New England with the most Super Bowls at six. I would have thought that they would have more years where they start out four or five and up, which makes what Kansas City has done for the last four years just that much more remarkable. That four straight years starting out at four and zero, uh, to start a season at four and zero, four straight years, which is just insane. But um, the big thing to come out that Pittsburgh game is I'm not Pittsburgh always beats Cleveland, so you kind of expected that. Not surprised by that, especially at home and anywhere they beat Cleveland anywhere. The benching of Baker Mayfield was I found curious. Um, listen, I've never been a Baker Mayfield guy. Um, I don't think he's a – I think he's okay. I don't think you can win a Super Bowl with Baker Mayfield. I don't think he, he, Baker Mayfield can be a Super Bowl caliber quarterback. I don't think he can lead you to a Super Bowl. But I do think you can make the playoffs with Baker Mayfield, maybe win the playoff game, maybe. A lot of talent on that team. Um when you bench a Baker Mayfield, you have to really think about. And again, they're four and two. Let's keep that in mind. They're four and two. Case Keenum, where where's Case Keenum taking you? Now Baker Mayfield, this is what year three for Mayfield. Again, he's not going to be this superstar quarterback. You can pretty much tell early with quarterbacks who's going to be. There are levels to this at the quarterback position. Pretty much, you can tell whether a guy is going to be a special player, franchise player, or just average. You can tell. Mayfield is somewhere between franchise and, and average. He's somewhere in that middle where he's going to have days where he looks great. He's going to have halves where he looks great. He's going to have halves where you like, damn, should we, why did we draft this guy? That's who Baker Mayfield is. And I, I can see Baker Mayfield being a guy that bounces around two or three teams. I really can't. He'll be a starter. And again, he'll be a starter, but he'll bounce around a lot around this league. With that being said, you're not winning anything with Case Keenum. So to me, I'm four and two. You're not two and four. 
you're not you're not one in five, you're not zero in six, you're four and two. Bit of a panic move to me to bench Baker Mayfield, especially against that defense. I mean, Pittsburgh defense is loaded. In Pittsburgh, they have I mean, all across the board, Pittsburgh had great pass rush, above average secondary linebacker. I mean, Pittsburgh has a they had the best defense in the league to me in terms of personnel. When you combine personnel, scheme, continuity, and impact players, I mean, that is a big time defense. Anybody can get embarrassed against playing against that defense. Um, but I'm not. I thought it was a bit of a panic move. I, I really did. Thought it was a bit of a uh, panic move by the Cleveland, um, by the Cleveland Browns. As far as Tennessee goes, again, these coaches, Tennessee, Houston, uh, great game. Um, these coaches just continuously just uh, this two point the two point conversion just. It ruins coaches. It ruins coaches' decision making. Coaches get caught up in these analytics. They get caught and just just make a common sense decision. You know what my rule for two point conversions are? You don't go for it unless until you get to a point to where you have to. To where you have to go for it. And it is definitely situational. So if you've got what I'm talking about, Cleveland, not Cleveland, Houston, Tennessee. Uh, Houston's up 36-29, um, just scored a touchdown, and they decide to go for two because if they go for two and convert, they'll make it. It'll, they will make it. It will be 38 to 29. In essence, nine points will you know, put the game out of completely out of reach. But if you don't get it, it stays at seven. Uh, the other team gets a. The other team scores. You go in overtime and lose. Oh my bad. That's that's exactly what happened. <laughs> they, they went for it. They missed. Tennessee tied the game. Went to overtime and won in overtime. Um, yeah, yeah. And like I, I don't get these teams just continuously just outsmarting themselves by going for these two point conversions when they don't have to. I don't. They. I you know it, I watched it basically cost Carolina the Super Bowl back in uh, 03. People forget about that. That, that. that John Fox kept chasing, kept chasing points and could have been ahead, could have been ahead at the end of the game or at the last towards, towards the latter part of the uh, latter part of the game um, in the fourth. I mean late in the fourth quarter. So we've seen this movie before. You just don't chase points in the NFL. You, you don't you just I, and I just don't get it with these coaches. I don't get, I don't get the thinking behind it. It makes, it just doesn't make sense to go for two points, a two point conversion when you don't have to. It really doesn't. And it got Cornell in trouble. They lost them the game without question. A game which they went toe to toe with, with Tennessee, and a game which they easily could have won. Uh, San Francisco, of course, bounces back against the Rams. That was a big time game, big time bounce back win because we talk about quarterbacks getting benched. Uh, Jimmy G needed that performance because um, he gets benched the week before against Miami. Now, a lot of people attribute that to bad ankle. You heard the coach Shanahan not throwing money in the bus, really really cover for, him, cover for him, to be honest with you, saying, hey, I didn't like what I saw in terms of how he was throwing the ball with the ankle. That wasn't normally him. Didn't make a big deal of it. Comes back in this game at home against a good Ram team that has an excellent defense in their own right. And uh, puts up a, uh, has an excellent performance. Throws three for th- uh, throws three touchdowns, and the San Francisco defense holds the Rams in check. Again, nice bounce back win for the for the for, uh, for San Francisco, who has all types of injuries. 
and more importantly for Jimmy G, who is playing as each game goes on and on in this 2020 season. Is he is playing for his future in San Francisco because he has a very much a team friendly contract, and they can move on from him after this year if they, if they so choose to. Now, I like Jimmy G. I think we've seen him get to a Super Bowl with Jimmy G, but. I, I get a sense that they feel like as a franchise that they got into they get the, that you know that they got to Super Bowl in spite of him that it was more about their defense and offensive line and running game than it was his actual performance. So he has the rest of the season to show them that you know they can win a championship with him at the helm. Um, so you had that you had that going on with San Francisco. Uh, you're looking at these. Look at the playoff standings. Of course, Tennessee, Pittsburgh, Seattle remain the only undefeated teams. I'm still not sold on Seattle by any stretch with that defense. I'm not so. I, I have no faith in that defense whatsoever. Whatsoever. But they do have the MVP of the league right now in Russell Wilson. Uh, Baltimore's five and one, but again, it's not a. It's kind. Of, it's kind of a shaky five and one. I've not been impressed with Baltimore. Baltimore over the past couple of weeks. Um, even against Cleveland, uh, Lamar Jackson did not throw the ball well. They clearly they have some they're having some issues with the passing game, um, without question. And their defense was not good. Yes, last uh, couple of days, their defense was not good against Philadelphia. I mean, they let they almost blew they almost blew basically a twenty point layout. Philadelphia scored twenty two points in the uh, in the fourth quarter. Um, so Baltimore, you know. It's great to be five and one, but got some things that they need to tighten up. We already talked about Green Bay. Um, you know, the Chicago Bears five and one. I mean, that, that, you know, for the Chicago Bears to be five and one is just you just shake your head. You like offensively, that team is awful offensively. They are an awful offensive football team. Like look at Chicago's splits. Um, but right now, Chicago is in a great position because their only loss came out of the conference. So they are 5-0 and in within the conference. Chicago is 5-1. and Despite the fact of being 5-1, and they've only outscored their opponents by 12 points. 12 points. So their, their, their point differential is, hard, is bad for a team that's 5-1, uh, only plus 12. As a comparison, you know, you look at some other teams, Seattle undefeated, you know, point differential 34, even though they played a number of close games. Uh, you, even Arizona is uh, 50, you know, has a point differential of 54, um, despite losing two games. So, you know, listen, with Chicago, um, I'm not buying it with the quarterback situation. We know how good the defense is. I think Chicago is going to, you know, Chicago is going to have one of these years where they're going to they're be around. They may make the playoffs, but I'm not buying. Uh, I'm not buying Chicago as a um, as a contender. It's just not. I just don't see it right now. Um, again, it is. You know, despite the fact that we've gone, this is through. This is six weeks. We're six weeks into the season. I, you know, I look at look at the landscape right now. I know what Kansas City is. I think I know what Pittsburgh is. Baltimore. Will make the playoffs, but I'm not. I'm just something not right about them right now. Um, NFC, I don't know about the NFC right now at all. The NFC is all over the place. I really don't know about the NFC as far as who to trust. 
Um, I, I don't think any team stands out in the AMC right now. And they're a lot, again, they're going to be, you know, you have a number of teams that are okay to pretty good to very good. You know, I think the Rams are very good. I don't think they're great. I think the, uh, you know, Green Bay took a step back to me, even though they are 4-1. I don't think there's a class of the NFC right now. I think the best the best teams, the best three teams in football are in the a, are in the AFC. Kansas City, Pittsburgh, and probably Baltimore. Those are the best three teams in football. And they're all in the AFC to me. So all the power right now is in the AFC. And I can even, if I be honest with you, I, I can even make a case for Tennessee being the fourth best team in the uh, in, in in football right now. To be, honest, to be perfectly honest, uh, so they have at least four of the five top teams in the league, um, in the league right now. Of course, the big NFL news for today, as you heard or heard, heard this earlier, was Tua 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 I always butchered his name. Tua will start Week Eight. They have a bye week. Coming up, then they'll they, then they'll play um, against the Rams in, in two weeks. So they give him some extra, give him extra prep prep time. And this is a situation where I don't, I don't, I, I, you know, you say, you know, Miami's played well over the past couple of weeks. They've actually played well over the season. Their their losses are close losses to to good teams. But again, you're not going. This is this is the uh, Cleveland in reverse because. The, back, the quarterback that you that you were starting is a backup. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a career backup. That's all there is to it. He's a backup quarterback. He's a great backup to have in case your guy gets hurt, but you want to put him in the game for two or three games to kind of keep your season stabilized. He's good for that, but he's not. You're not going anywhere for 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 the now or the future with Ryan Fitzpatrick as your quarterback. So it makes perfect sense to put uh, Tua in right now to me. Uh, I'm a Tua fan. I think he was one of the best college quarterbacks I've, I've, I've ever seen. Accurate, um, poised, great quarterback mind as far as commanding of, of an offense. He was phenomenal at, in, in, in college, and he was not. It wasn't just a product of the system. He made Alabama when he was there. He was that dominant of a player. There's no question about it. Can he stay on the field? That's the only question. Can he stay on the field? This guy stays on the field, then to me, I look at this out this quarterback class. I, he will be the guy over Joe Burrow, over Justin Herb Justin Herbert, who's played well, and despite the fact that you know the Chargers are the Chargers and remain the Chargers, but Herbert looks to be the guy. Joe Burrow has played well this season, but this is the guy to me that will that has the biggest upside as far as the 2020 class and as far as the, the next wave of, of great quarterbacks. I really got, I, I'm a really, I'm a, I'm a Tua fan. And, you know, again, I'm not, it's not like I root for Alabama. So I'm not, you know, a homer from that standpoint. The sky's, this guy, the sky's the limit for this guy if he can stay on the field. And that's a big if. That's a big if because, you know, you, you if you're injury prone in college, then it doesn't get any easier in the NFL. They hit a lot harder. And there's more games, of course. Um, so I have no problem with them starting him. Um, we'll see how he does. Um, it's a great year to start him where you have a lot of the divisions kind of open. No dominant team in that division. I mean, we saw New England. New England's all of a sudden struggling. 
has a losing record this late in the season for the first time in since what oh two. Um, Buffalo's not dominant. They've dropped a couple of games after a four and start. And uh, you know, the Jets are the Jets. So he's coming into an ideal situation. I like Flores as a coach. Thought the team played well at the end of last year. They play hard. There's accountability. There's, you know, there there's a culture there that he's already establishing. So I again very intriguing to watch once he uh, over the course of the next um ten games for the Miami Dolphins. That 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 will have to be that's gonna be some musty TV watching that guy um play quarterback. Uh, a couple things uh, again, I haven't seen you in a, in a, in a couple weeks. Um, besides the Wire podcast, I want to wrap up the NBA just a bit. Um, of course, you know, you know, with the Lakers winning it, we are. Will the question remains: What will they do in the offseason? Will they go out try to get Chris Paul, a Bradley Bill, somebody like that? Um, they they are not going to stand pat. LeBron's not. LeBron won't allow that to happen. They will not stand pat going into uh, next season. But um, I think, I mean, the biggest question in the NBA besides free agency is when the NBA season is going to start again. And as of right now, no one knows, not even Adam Silver knows, you're going to have a number of bubble sites in the NBA starting next year, in next in 2021. I can't see a situation where you have a lot of fans returning to arenas with no vaccine or at least without a vaccine that people are willing to take. There might be a vaccine, but a lot of people are not going to be taking that, that vaccine if it comes out before before March or before next June or, or April. Um, so I think the NBA in my, will have to go to a bubble-type situation where you might have a, a bubble in L.A., in Dallas, or like – Two on the like four on the East Coast, four on the West Coast, something like that, and you're gonna. They, I mean, they, you're gonna have to have a creative infrastructure where it's like forget the feel about players staying in hotels. You're gonna have players staying in houses, build houses for the players and things of that nature. You're gonna have to create a a, a home type situation. What the NBA did in my in Orlando will never be done again. That, that's just never gonna happen. That's a once in a lifetime type thing. They did a wonderful job. It's one of the great accomplishments by any sports league ever, as far as I'm concerned. No one thought they were going to pull it off. I didn't I didn't think they were going to pull off. No positive COVID tests. So hats off to Adam Silver and the NBA for pulling that off, for, both, for pulling that off uh, over the course of three and a half months. Because I did not think a champion was going to be crowned. I, I, I really didn't at all. Um. But they're going to have to get extremely creative in order to start their 2021 season. They're going to get very creative. Again, knowing the NBA, um, they probably they were, have been playing for this even throughout the course of, uh, of this summer. Um, and, you know, whatever plan they come up with, you, you know, you're, going to, you're going to buy because of the people who are running it. But it'll be it'll be fascinating to watch what they do, how they're going to start off their season. You've heard the NHL wants to start in January, and um, you know we'll see how that goes. With again, we saw the NHL pull off some bubbles, 
pull off similar situation. Well, pull off. They had their own had their own form of bubble of bubbles um, in terms of the players and things of that nature. Baseball actually did a pretty has done a pretty good job of it. To be honest with you, you had some you had some it was shaky during the season, but throughout the course of the playoffs and into the World Series, as we the World Series will begin tonight, um, the COVID test has been you know COVID positive tests have been uh, quiet for the most part. Really, the only sport I mean football shocker has, has had the most trouble football and uh nfl and college football have had the most trouble by far and that's you know what you should have expected so what we should expect expected out of all the sports and major league soccer struggled too struggled too earlier or earlier on when they were down in florida but uh just i, I just be very fascinated to see what the NBA does to start their 2021 season. Um, Bucks, the Bucks, you know, put a baby basically double down on the fact that they're not going to trade Giannis, um, despite and they're going they're going to risk losing him uh, if he doesn't. And he's not expected to take the contract extension. Everybody knows he's not going to sign the max extension. That he's going to become an outright free agent in 2021. Um, and by the way, it's, listen, it's, it's the right move. I mean, if you're, if you are the Milwaukee Bucks, you have confidence in your franchise that you can put a, put together a team that can con- compete next year, whenever the NBA season starts for a championship, you go all in on this season, you do whatever it takes, you sign whoever, make whatever trade is necessary. Everybody on that team, with the exception of Giannis would be up is tradable period so if you can't i mean you know if you cannot put a contending team around a generational talent when you've already been to the eastern conference finals um then you don't deserve them you've had seven years with them you have plenty you've had plenty of time to put a contender around that guy and you know cleveland had plenty of time to do that to do the same thing with lebron New Orleans had plenty of time with Anthony Davis. I can't you can't knock these players for wanting to win championships and wanting to not face not face the criticism of never of being great but never win the big one because their organizations have done poor jobs of surrounding them with the with adequate talent or with, with talent that can get them to help them get to the next level as, as a franchise. So you know it seems like and again you're gonna hear all types of Free agent room, free agent rumors. It seems like to me, the ideal place would be Miami, but a lot can happen between now and 2021. Uh, of course, you know the majority of it is going to depend on how this season goes, how this season goes. But if, here's the thing: if 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 Milwaukee, if Milwaukee's not in the finals in 2021, Gianna, uh the Greek Freak is gone. It's just that simple. They're not in the finals next year. It's it's a, it's a wrap. So then you will get a, but there I mean there are a number of teams, Dallas. Um, you can see Golden State. There are a number of teams that are going to chop it. They're going to put position themselves to get this guy. He is a generational talent. He's an MVP. He's, he's an MVP, and he's only he won't be twenty. He turn he won't be twenty six until December. And this this is the the guy that can shift the power of of the NBA, depending on what he ends up. So.
Um, I don't blame Milwaukee for not. Uh, I can't blame Milwaukee for not trading him. Um, and by the way, no one's giving up the farm to get Giannis when they know he's going to be a free agent the following the following season. Like it, it's just not when they know he's not. He's not going to sign an extension with, for the team that he gets traded to. If he got traded tomorrow. He wouldn't sign the extension with that team. Um, so even if they won a championship, he wouldn't sign the extension. He's going to wait to become an outright free agent so he can get the most money, period, so period, so he can get the most money. So um, I, I think that, uh, be, you know, I want to see, you know, Milwaukee, you know, the ball's in their court. Um, and again, the hardest part is, is, you know, when you have a player, when you get a player like Giannis, when you get a player like LeBron, Anthony Davis, that's the hard part. Getting that guy, the easier part, the easiest part to me is building around him. The hard part is having the great, is having the generational talent. So the hard, the hard work is actually done. So, so to me, it's easy to build around that particular player. Now, Mike Budenholzer, the right coach, I would lean to probably saying no. But who else out there? Who like who do you, who do you think? Would sign could take that team to the next level. Who's out there? Like who? Are, what other coaches out there? It's not. It's not. It's not a uh, Mike D'Antoni. Jeff Van Gundy. I would like Jeff Van Gundy, but it seems like he's gonna be. He seems like he's headed towards head to Houston. I wouldn't touch Stan, but Stan Van Gundy wouldn't. I don't, I don't see why anybody would be interested in Stan Van Gundy, to be honest with you. So, I, you know, this is going to be sim It's going to be very similar to the LeBron situation with Giannis. Back to back MVP years. Had a situation where they lose from, go from conference finals, losing to the conference finals, to losing to the conference semifinals. Get fed up and probably head to Miami. So around the same age, same trajectory, same parts of their careers. So now you know Giannis is not as good as LeBron, but not that far off. It really, he's really not. He's not that far off. He's not like I. I would like I've heard some people say, "Well, he'll never be LeBron." Hey, slow down, slow down. Maybe not in terms of style of play. But in terms of, you know, I, listen, slow down. That guy, <laughs> that guy's a generational talent. That guy, I would not be surprised if he, that guy wins three or four championships before saying that. I would not be the least bit surprised. He's that big, he's that special of a player, and he, he has that kind of drive. So, just with the right situation, adds to his adds to his game as far as his post game. Forget about mid-range jump shot, but even just as far as him just um, – his ball handling, things of that nature, you know, we'll, we'll, he's already a great defensive player. He's already a guy that can um, score the basketball. I mean, he's getting 30 points a game without having really a, a consistent jump shot or a great handle. He has he has pretty good handle, but not a great handle over the basketball. So, you know, I don't be surprised if he adds that to his game. He averaged 35 and 15. He's that type of player. Um, I, want, I wanted to get to uh, a couple of things. In it. First of all, I, 
before I got to get to some pop culture here, um, the Lopez the La Mexico fight was one of the best fights I, I've seen. It, it was really one of the best. It was definitely the, the best fight I've seen this year. I mean, certainly, we haven't seen a lot of them, but great fight. But unfortunately, boss boxing has to fuck it up with just corruption and manipulating the judges. There's no way. It was embarrassing for the sport. Those those the judges' scores in that fight. That fight was was a 115, 113, maybe you want to say 116, 112 at most. That was a closely contested fight. The last five out of the last six rounds, Lameshko dominated outside of the last round. Dominated. Now, you want to say he waited too late to start attacking? Okay. And it probably cost him two, it cost, no, it cost him probably two, at least two rounds, maybe more. But uh, some of those scores, I mean, 109, 119, 109. Uh, 117, 111. It just, you would thought if you had watched those, if you if you would have saw those scores and not watched the fight, you would have thought that it was, you would have thought that it was a you know a straight beat down. It was it was not even close to being that. You thought it was just a pure ass whooping. It, it was not even. He hurt Lopez a couple of times in that fight, and there were points in that fight where Lopez got tired and Lopez is almost ten years younger. So again, boxing just embarrasses itself with just they have no structure. You can't trust anything about boxing. And I told my cousin before, after the fight, it's just just it's just like a triple G uh Canelo situation. I thought Triple G won both fights against Canelo, by the way. But Triple G is much older than Canelo. They don't want the champion to be that old, or for that matter to have any problem issues in terms of uh, speaking English. So Lameshko not, you know, is not really doesn't have a big personality like that. So it needed it needed the triple G. So Alvarez and Lopez, the younger fighters, the more charismatic fighters, those are the guys that they want they want one, you know, that they want to carry the sport into the future. You see, despite some of the financial issues that that uh Canelo's had with uh uh, Danza re- recently got you know three hundred million dollar contract um, of the zone, but they you know it's not fight you know you don't there's not gonna they, they don't want to market somebody like Lamesco his style of fighting and you know again thirty two he's not old but still thirty two versus a twenty three year old Lopez is going you know Lopez is now the undisputed lightweight champion four belts and he is the future of boxing. Period. At twenty three, he's he's a star. He's a very talented fighter, and he won the fight. I, I I think he won the fight, but not easily. It was a very close fight. It was a very close fight. Highly competitive. Uh, I thought Lopez fought a great tactical fight uh, for a guy as athletic and as young as he is. I thought his, I thought he fought an excellent tactical fight. I really really I really was impressed from that standpoint, and certainly the sky's the limit for him. As far as how talented he has, he has a talent to be an all-time great if he stays hungry, and of course if he if he um, continues to get better, continues to improve. But he's going—he's a star now. I mean, he's got—he's an undisputed champion. The other guy that I saw uh, on that undercard, relatively was was a weak undercard. There was no, there was one good fight. The fight before the main fight was a great fight, and I forgot who—I forgot the name of the dudes, but that was a great fight. That fight before 
uh, the main before the Lopez fight. But Edgar Berlinga, this guy, um, scary. He's scary. <laughs> this guy is scary. I mean, six one, solid muscle, and I, you know, he has fifteen knockouts. I wanted, I really want to see him fight. He, he's in that Canelo weight class, like, and none, none of those guys. I, if I were a Canelo, I wouldn't want to see that guy right now. Let's, like, no, let's let, let's make some more money first before we even think about fighting that guy. That guy has the ability to be a middleweight super middleweight and light heavyweight champion. He can go, he can go from 160 to 175 easily as he continues to just physically develop and add. He can add weight if he wants to, and he definitely can move up. Uh, that guy is scary. That guy is scary. I want to see him fight. Love to see him fight um, somebody of note uh, in that 160, in that division. But that, that, uh, that to me, jumped out. You know, the Lopez... Uh, Lemachenko fight was great, but Edgar Berlinga is is going to be the star. Is going to be a star. There's no question. Strength, just how he carries himself. It kind of he kind of reminds me of a young Mike Tyson. And I ain't talking about from a style standpoint, but from just uh, body language and just that 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 swag, that mindset. He really does. He reminds me of like a young Mike Tyson. Of course, tonight you have uh, Game Seven. Oh, excuse me, Game One of the World Series: Tampa Bay and the Dodgers, Los Angeles Dodgers. Dodgers just won a Game Seven Sunday against um, the Atlanta Braves, and you know, with the Dodgers, this you know, I don't. I was thinking about this today. It's probably more pressure on the Dodgers to win this series than it has been on a team to win in baseball, going back to the 2004 Red Sox. I think this is the most pressurized series that any baseball team has had in a long time. Normally, you get to the World Series, you can kind of like be free. The hard part is done, especially this year, where you have to get through three rounds with the, that, you know, the two out of three, and then divisional, and then the, the wild card, then, you know, the divisional wild card, and then uh, LCS. Um, so I think that this year, um, I think the Dodgers have more pressure on them. Like, they have to win it this year. Like, they have to win this series. And to me, this is probably their best chance, all due respect to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is a very good team, excellent pitching, some young stars on offense. But um, 2017, Houston was a powerhouse. 2018, the Red Sox team that they faced was a powerhouse. Uh, those neither one of those two teams were as good as both those teams were better than what Tampa Bay is this year. So I think that if the Dodgers can't get it done this year, then I don't know when it's going to happen. Coming back from three games to one against Atlanta, um, but to me the key the key is game one Kershaw. Ker they, Kershaw has to give them two quality starts in this series. I'm not even saying he has to win both games, but he has to give them an opportunity to win both of his starts. He cannot go out there and get bombed and shelled in one of these starts. They, I just don't think they can win it without him pitching, without him having pitching good, not great, but just just being good. Just being, you know, six, you know, six, six, six innings, three runs. You know, 
if he gives two starts like that get to give them a chance to win then I think that that's to me that's their only way to win this series I don't think they can he can go out there and you know pitch like he did in his last start and have them expect to win this series Tampa Bay is too talented they have too much pitching on the and, and they have too much pitching and Tampa Bay is not fearful of anybody Tampa Bay has been battling the Yankees and Red Sox for years um, you know just took out Houston and give Houston a lot of credit for coming back from three games to nothing and getting into a game seven. They deserve a bunch of credit for that. Uh, almost come, almost getting, you know, almost doing the impossible and coming back uh, from a three nothing uh, deficit, three games to nothing deficit. But um, Dodgers got to win it this year. They have to win it this year. You know, they they don't win it this year. I don't know if it's when it's if it's going to happen. If it's ever going to happen. I uh, wanted to wrap with the program um, with a bit of pop culture. A couple things. Um, number one, you know, in regards to, you know, Steph, so Steph Curry comes out. Aisha Curry comes out. She dyes her hair. Well, whoop de doo But uh, Steph Curry responds to internet trolls on, during, on Twitter, who apparently said some disrespectful things. About Aisha Curry's look and you know her dyeing her hair, which you know, I get when you put yourself when you when you are when you put yourself out there on the internet, you put you post pictures, you are open season. Um, and again, I don't get the idea that you are seeking you know, opinions from people who you don't know and frankly, frankly, don't, for the most, let's say, be honest, maybe I'm being a little harsh with this, frankly, don't give a shit about. Now, you may say, all right, we love our fans and cool and like interaction, but eh, these are people that, these are people on the internet that you probably will never meet in your life. That you're not going, unless you know the person, unless you know some of the people on Twitter already who compliment you or know people, people on Instagram compliment each other that they know all the time. But I'm saying, for the most part, the people who you come across on social media, you don't know. And they don't, they don't know you. They know who you are, but they don't know you as a person. And really, social media exposes people exposes the insecurities of celebrities and just people in general. It really does with some of the back and forth that happens over social media, over what a person's wearing, how a person's look, and so on and so on. And you know, Steph Curry didn't get too in his feelings with it. But you know, he says, hey, you look good. I don't care. Anybody says something to that nature. It's like, eh. like eh, why you gotta give it that? Why are you giving the internet, that type of energy. You're never going to get. In, you're never going to win a battle versus the internet. It's just the internet is undefeated with a million knockouts. You just never. You you can't. You're just not going to win that battle at all. Like I don't. You know. You know. You don't need to tell the internet. Tell your wife that she looks beautiful through Twitter. Like I, it's just not, I just don't see it to be necessary. You don't have to justify your wife's changing her hair color via Twitter or Instagram or any type of social media. And again, I, I'm just amazed 
time in, time out, how celebrities go for the same okie doke with the internet trolls. The internet trolls are undefeated and remain undefeated. And remain undefeated. Like I, I posted a picture. I, and I rarely post pictures on on uh, social media. Rarely of, of myself. I posted a picture of myself after the Lakers won. You know, the Lakers had the, yeah, you know, that that picture. <laughs> and you know, actually, somebody complimented me on that picture. And you know, you know, it was, it was a nice compliment. It was a very nice compliment. But for that compliment, for those compliments that you receive it can definitely go it can definitely go the other way it can definitely it can go the other way just as easy so you know you don't just you don't feed into it i mean you you don't look for justification from twitter or social media you just can't you can't do it you can't do it and 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 just keep your and keep your wits about you i just don't you know I, i don't get why stars why celebrities or why anybody feeds into this? But again, internet, the internet, it can expose some things about people within. It really does. It, it's, it's surprising to say that, but it, it can. I want to end with Lovecraft Country um, because, and you know, I watched the episode twice, and I, it, you know, it, it is one of the. I've never seen a show do what they did over the course of 10 episodes ever in the history of television. The combination of, you know, social, of like black history with magic, with kind of science fiction, you know, horror. The mix was, again, to try to pull that off is almost, it's almost impossible to pull that off. It really is. It's like, it's almost impossible to pull that off. And they pulled it off probably flawlessly, to be honest with you. I mean, for the first part of the season, had trouble following everything that was going on. But as I would say the last four episodes pretty much got a sense of what was happening. And they found a rhythm. It was a nice rhythm of letting you know what was happening. And the bottom line is that type, that is a, that, that is, that has a novellic, type of feel to it, you're not going to know everything that, you're not going to understand or know everything that's going on. There's so much layers to a program that's happening. It's, so, it's, it's such a piece of, a masterpiece of art. You're not, you're going to have to rewatch that a number of times to dissect everything that's that's happening because it, it, it's so much. There's a lot to it to digest in 60 minutes of television. But what they, you know, to me, what I gauge as next level television, not just entertainment or guilty pleasure, but as next level is the wires of the world. It it, 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 this, it, this reaches, it reaches rare air. When you look, when you watch a show and feel like you need to do research outside of watching the show about a particular episode or about a particular subject matter. That's taken it to a whole nother level. That's a level that very few television shows in the history of television ever reach. If reach it, if reach at, if they reach it at all. And I don't. I was thinking about season two. I don't know if they can even do a season two. I mean, if you watch the end of the episode, there are some things that you could that could lead that that we can 
you know, writers, you know, writers can do any, you know, writers can create anything as far as plots and things of that nature and character development. So I wouldn't be surprised if, they, if there was a season two. Um, it will win a number of awards, uh, Emmy, uh, Golden Globes, and without question, Screen Actor, Screen Actor Guild, Guild Awards. It will win a number of awards. It's going to clean up. It's going to clean house. Uh, and Jonathan Majors absolutely should be like nominated for Best Actor, uh, Golden Globe, Television. He, his performance was just, you know, really. I mean, the, the entire cast was strong. It was a, it was a great cast. Uh, to say the least, but uh, I, I think you just watch something. If you watch the show, you just watch. And I won't even say how it ended. I'm not going to spoil it to anybody. Even two days later, but you watched a historic show. Um, at, at once they got from the last five episodes, they were in their bag. They were. They. I mean, they were cooking. Their last five episodes to at, at a level very few shows have ever hit in television history. To be honest with you. And I'm saying that, like, this, again, I'll probably, you know, I'll go and rewatch the entire season, you know, soon enough. But uh, I strongly would encourage um, to watch that show, to encourage you to watch that show. And don't pay attention to what critics say. Critics don't know. Critics don't know shit, as far as I'm concerned. I don't listen to critics other than to get a laugh or two. But, you know, as a critic, you're not going to tell me what I like to watch and why I should or shouldn't watch a show. I just... Critics have not aged well. That has not aged well whatsoever. A critic, critics. Don't, I don't pay attention to critics about art. I know what I like. I know what I like to watch. And I know what I don't like. It's pretty much that simple. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of The Real Deal Podcast. As always, subscribe to my podcast on this YouTube channel. Click the subscribe button after the episode is concluded. Or even before the episode is concluded. You can find me on iTunes, Stitcher, or at anywhere you can find your and find a, find a podcast. There's so many platforms you lose track, but definitely uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, YouTube. Have a great rest of the evening. I'm out.